So today is a Monday, the 14th of December, and it's a one prat, the Lunar Observance Day. It's uh, the 14th uh, day of this uh, lunar month. So we've come together to develop goodness. And uh, when we say this word goodness, what we mean is both punya, so merit, and kusala, intelligence. And uh, we try to cultivate and accumulate uh, this goodness. And when we do so, it develops uh, into wisdom. And the highest form of wisdom is the all-round knowing and understanding of sankharas, of conditioned phenomena. So with sankharas, we have both rupa sankhara, uh, the conditioned forms, and then nama sankhara, these conditioned mental phenomena. So the rupa sankhara is essentially uh, these bodies, which are composed of the four elements of earth, water, fire, and air. So that's rupa. And then with vedana, which is a part of the nama-sankara, it's the feelings that we have. So the feelings of heat, of coolness, etc. So when there's a sensation, um, then this contacts us within the heart. And then there's sanya, memory. So we remember the things that happened in the past, different events that took place, or sounds that we heard, smells or flavors that we had once experienced, any feelings of heat or coolness. Um, so the memory of this is sanya. And then there's uh, sankara, the sankara within the khandas, and this is the proliferation of the narrative that our mind gives rise to. So about uh, good things, or it can be about bad things. It can be on the side of merit or on the side of demerit. And this is uh, sankara. And then we have vinyana, the sense consciousness. So whenever there's a feeling that contacts us, so for example, the uh, a form contacts the eye, and then vinyana comes up. Uh, this consciousness of that form. And so the same if there's a sound that contacts the ear, then then there'll be sense consciousness of that sound and for the other sense uh, faculties as well. And also if there's any thoughts that arise in the mind and there's a knowing of those thoughts and that knowing is vinyana. So if our minds are peaceful, then we'll be able to see both physicality and mentality as not-self. But when we give these things the importance of self, and we um, overlay that meaning upon them, then there'll be attachment, and there'll be conceit that comes up, a sense of me and an ego that arises. So we try to cultivate merit, and uh, 
this cultivation of merit allows us also to cultivate wisdom. And the highest uh, form of wisdom is that which can know all the things that we experience in time and to be wise to them as they're happening. And this will allow the suffering that we experience in lives and in our minds to decrease. And so we try to build up a lot of this merit. And there are many different ways that we do that. So there's the merit that comes from generosity, um, the merit that comes from uh, giving services and helping out, from sacrificing, helping society. There's the merit that we develop in our bodies and in our speech um, through sila and also the merits of meditation. And when our hearts have energy through our meditation practice, then we're able to spread and dedicate our merit to others. And this in itself is a form of merit. So we see that everyone in this world wishes for happiness and no one wants to suffer. So an easy form of merit that we can make is that of rejoicing in the good deeds of other people. And when we see people doing good things, um, then we can say this word sattu and rejoice in that, express our appreciation of it. And uh, this is an intelligent way of bringing up merit because we don't have to go out and do anything ourselves. What we do is just notice other people doing good things and we rejoice in that. It allows our minds to be at ease because they aren't jealous of other people's goodness. So there's also the merit of having a belief in merit itself and in demerit, that there is uh, birth and life after this life. Uh, so we have a belief or a faith in the law of karma as well. And the straightening out of our views, turning them into right views, is uh, a very profound source of merit. So when we are building up this merit continuously, so in that very act, what we're doing is abandoning evil things. We're abandoning bad things. And we're cultivating what is skillful. But this developing, building up of goodness, it has its obstacles. One of those is laziness, another is stinginess, which is especially an obstacle to generosity. There's also the delight or the pleasure that we find from all the sense objects. And these can pull our minds out. And then the chelases can pull them even further and so it can be very difficult uh, in this case to keep uh, precepts, to keep virtue well. So it shows that there are these obstacles, these things that obstruct um, our path to cultivating goodness, namely the kilesa mara, the demon of defilement in our hearts. So for those people who have faith, and who are familiar with sila, then it's not difficult to keep the five precepts or the eight precepts. 
Um, and they're able to do this. They're able to bring their actions of body and speech within the bounds of what is good and virtuous. And so for us here, we can do that quite easily because we've done it before. But for those people who have never taken on the precepts, then it's very tough because they're attached and they have all these defilements that are obstructing their way, that are obstructing their practice. If we have kindness for ourselves and for others, then maintaining virtuous actions is not difficult. And caring for our precepts is very easy. And so the next level is that of meditation, of avana. And this too has its challenges, its obstacles, and mostly the delights that our minds find in the sense objects. And so when we sit in meditation, oftentimes there can just be a lot of proliferation, a lot of thoughts going on. And these can go on endlessly without stopping. And so this makes the act of bringing our minds to peace quite difficult. So it requires practice, it requires training. But this act of training in meditation brings great benefit. It's actually the most supreme form of merit. So we will, all the knowledge that we gain, all the worldly knowledge that we have, uh, we have to rely upon others for this. So when a child comes into this world, they depend upon their parents and upon their teachers to gain uh, knowledge of the various worldly subjects. And it's the same with the knowledge in the Dhamma and in meditation, uh, that we need to rely upon those who have practiced this way, who have understood for themselves and rely upon their teachings, their instructions in this path of practice. So this act of listening to the Dhamma is for the sake of getting to know how we should practice and how we proceed. And if we are intent and sincere, then our hearts will develop and we'll feel a very deep sense of gratitude and respect towards the Dhamma. So the things that we haven't listened to before, once we get to hear those teachings, then we can gain an understanding of them. And the Dhamma goes very deeply into our hearts. And it does this uh, because before we have always viewed things in terms of conventions, the suppositions of our minds, we've never experienced liberation. But when we listen to a monk give a sermon, uh, perhaps we can get a taste of this. So just like one teaching that Lumpur Cha gave, that all things are conventions, all the names that we give to objects are conventions. So our names, the names of others, the names of all material things, then they don't actually really exist. They're not real. So there was a time that I was walking through the monastery and I noticed a sign that was on a tree. 
And uh, this tree actually had two names. Um, so there was uh, Jamjali was the very beautiful name that people would call that tree. That sounds, uh, it's, it's, it's a pretty sounding name. Uh, but before people gave it that pretty sounding name, it had another name, which was Jambu. So when people would uh, call it its normal name, they'd call it Jambu. And if they wanted to call it a pretty name, it would be uh, Jamjali. But the sign said that uh, really before uh, either of these names were given to it, there was no name. It didn't have any name at all. Or like if we uh, called ducks chickens and chickens ducks, um, and everyone agreed to that convention, then the names could just flip over like this. And the same with frogs and toads. So these things, they're just conventions that people give rise to. So we depend upon listening to the Dhamma of the great teachers, and, and they can guide us to correct our wrong views, guide us to reduce the clinging that we have, the attachment to the sense of self. And when we contemplate their teachings, we'll see that the truth really is that way. And through understanding this, then we can gain an insight into liberation and that these conventions, they're not actually real and our minds can become empty as a result. We gain this clear understanding. And before we didn't know or see things in a clear way, but having listened with a peaceful mind and having contemplated, then the clarity in these teachings grows and grows. And as we carry on listening, then we gain more understanding. Even though it may be the very same points of Dhamma that we have heard before, uh, but that same teaching goes more deeply into our hearts. And that's because our minds are more peaceful than they were before. Our hearts had developed more. And even though we've listened to it before, we haven't actually heard it. So we may listen to the teaching that attachment gives rise to suffering. We may hear that many, many times, but not gain any clear understanding of it. But it's only when we actually see that happening in ourselves that we uh, can clearly know the truth of it. Seeing that whatever it is that we attach to um, will be a cause for becoming and birth. And through understanding this, the heart becomes radiant, radiant through listening to the Dhamma. You gain an understand in understanding into cause and effects, and what causes suffering to arise, and our minds become wise as a result. Through this wisdom, the wrong views that we have are extracted from our hearts and replaced with right view. So there may be things that we have doubted before. We may look at this body and wonder whether this is really me and whether other people's bodies are actually them. And we can ask ourselves, are these things actually different? My body, other people's bodies, are they separate in any way? 
Well, they're just a collection of these four elements of earth, water, fire, and air. Other people are just these five khandhas, and we are too. It's just that the mind attaches to these things and gives the meaning of a self. And from this, um, clinging arises, and then suffering comes up. So the benefits of listening to the Dhamma are many. It's a great form of merit and of skillfulness. And through listening, we can gain a clear understanding and it's possible to reach the stage of Sotapanna, of stream entry. So there was one uh, person at the time of the Buddha called Punna. And uh, he lived very close to uh, Kapilavatu, uh, the city that the Buddha was from. And he was a relative of Anya Kondanya, uh, the monk who first understood the Dhamma that the Buddha taught. So Venerable Anya Kondanya uh, taught Punna and he gave, gained faith in the Dhamma and decided to ordain. Initially he ordained as a novice and then later on took full ordination. And it was the Buddha himself who uh, gave him this full ordination. And not long after that, he attained to the stage of arahantship. And then he was able to go and teach many of the people in Kabilavatu, many of the members of the Sakyan clan. And great numbers came to ordain as monks and nuns due to his teachings. And one of those was uh, Venerable Ananda. So um, Venerable Punna, he hadn't actually met Venerable Sariputta before. Uh, Sariputta being the right-hand disciple of the Buddha, the foremost disciple in wisdom. But there was a time when they did happen to meet up. And because Venerable Puddha hadn't met Venerable Sariputta before, he didn't know who he was. Uh, but Venerable Sariputta asked for Puddha to give him a talk on the Dhamma, to explain the Dhamma. And so he did so. He gave a very deep and thorough explanation about the Dhamma. Venerable Sariputta then praised him very highly said that he was very skilled and he asked his name and he said Punna and Punna in return asked uh, who Sariputta's or what Sariputta's name was and he said Venerable Sariputta and just hearing that uh, he was shocked and he said well if I had known that it was you I wouldn't have said anything because he had such high respect for this right-hand disciple of the Buddha But the Buddha praised uh, Venerable Punna highly, said that he was one who was skilled at expounding the Dhamma. So the benefits of listening to the Dhamma and of giving the Dhamma are very high. And when we share the Dhamma with others, then those who are sharing it feel bright inwardly, and those who listen also grow in radiance. So listening to the Dhamma has great benefits, just like I've mentioned before. 
And uh, it's something that we should try to do very often, take up this practice of listening to these words of truth. And as we listen, then these words will reach deeply into our hearts and they'll feel very joyful. The faith that we have will increase and so will our efforts in this path of practice. So we just carry on listening to the Dhamma, and it's especially important in the beginning to listen a lot and to do so until we gain an understanding in it. And when we have clearly understood the Dhamma, then anywhere we go, we'll be listening to the Dhamma. And this is the highest point, something that Lumpur Cha talked about. He said that when he went overseas, the Buddha was always teaching him. He saw the Buddha everywhere. And if we're talking in terms of Dhamma, then this very body here is the Buddha, that everything is the Dhamma, because the mind isn't deluded about anything that it sees. So this was 45 years ago that Nupucha went to England. And uh, back then it wasn't easy to go overseas. It was just a very small airport in Thailand, uh, Dunmuren Airport. And it was tough uh, for people to travel that way. Uh, but he was able to, and he wasn't deluded in any of the things that he came across. He said that while he was overseas, the Buddha was teaching him constantly, meaning that he saw anicca, dukkha, anatta, this inconstancy, stress, and not self in anything. He wasn't attaching to anything. So he went overseas and he was aware that he was unfamiliar with the customs and traditions of the cultures that he went to. And he didn't attach to his own ways of doing things. And so people over there gained a great love for him. And he wasn't conceited. He didn't um, hold on to his sense of self. He was able to adjust his actions and his ways of doing things in accordance with the societies that he went to. And this meant that he was able to spread the teachings of the Buddha very effectively. So initially, he didn't teach about generosity or about sila, but what he taught was meditation. And then after that, after people had gained uh, a faith um, in the Buddha's teachings through practicing meditation, then he taught about sila, about virtue. And then after that, about generosity. And so nowadays, when monks overseas go on tudong, they go wandering, and then they go on arms rounds in towns and villages overseas, then people there offer them food. <clears throat> so just through this 50 years of spreading the Dhamma, great benefits have arisen. People's faith has grown. And this has come about through both the act of listening to the Dhamma and of sharing the Dhamma. And it's possible for anyone to do this. We can introduce our friends to these teachings. We can share them with our friends. And so there are times during the Buddha's life when a monk giving a Dhamma talk uh, attained awakening through the Dhamma talk that he was giving. And also those listening were also able to attain to arahantship. So this shows that the benefit of spreading the Dhamma is great. 
And as Lumpur Chara said, that we teach others and we teach ourselves at the same time. So it's not just that we're instructing other people, but we're also instructing ourselves. And when we teach the Dhamma, we don't wish for any money or material gains um, in return. And we try to explain the meaning very clearly. So this is an important form of merit, uh, both the merit of listening to the Dhamma and of sharing the Dhamma. When we accumulate this merit, then it becomes a foundation for our hearts to become very firm and settled upon. And through this wisdom arises, and we're able to understand these teachings of truth. So there's the merits of generosity, the merits of sila, of virtue, of meditation, of giving services to others, of rejoicing in other people's good actions, the merit of sharing our merits, of straightening out our views, of listening to the Dhamma and of explaining the Dhamma. And these are all forms of merit that we can create. So I ask for all of you to try to develop um, all these forms of merit, to train yourselves in this path, and may all of you grow in blessings. <laughs>